Thanks, Judy. Good morning, everybody. Um, we're going to keep um, going and actually finish off this series today. Uh, we've been talking through this theme of one thing, and, and um, yeah, we've been doing that over the last, last few weeks, and particularly sort of just thinking about our sort of season of, of life and the fact that there's just lots of uh, distractions in, in our lives and, and things in the world and things that could make us anxious and that could pull us in different directions. And, but, but ultimately, we're called to be people of, of one thing, who, who know Jesus as our, as our one uh, thing that's necessary. And if we have him, we have all that we need. And we've been looking at that from a diff- few different passages. It, in lots of ways, you could kind of almost every... Bible text points back to that. It's about God. That's <laughs> that's sort of the summary. Um, but we've kind of been pressing more into this this theme. Um, but what I want to do today is kind of take what we've been doing, and and look at it a little bit more specifically around one of potentially the main challenges to this focus. So we're talking about how do we have Jesus as our one thing focus? How do we be people of peace? How do we seek first the kingdom? And um, you probably recognize that there's, there's one really main, uh, no, there's, there's lots, but, but one that's very relevant for us challenge uh, to that, to keeping him at the center and as the one thing which we see in, in Scripture as well, is just the challenge of money and possessions. That actually, if there's something that's in conflict with God being our focus and our source and our treasure, it is other treasures, <laughs> often bank accounts, often houses, often possessions, and particularly in our, in our culture, in, in advertising, and, and things pushing us towards that being what life is about, is material possession and gain. And this is uh, a, bit, a thing in, in the, the Bible actually talks about a, a lot as being a challenge to our faith in God, and actually the challenge of money and how we respond to money. Money in itself, possessions in themselves are not bad, but the way that we respond to them can be. And there's kind of two challenges, I think. One of the challenges is worrying about not having enough. When we maybe are nervous about whether we can pay the bills, whether we can put food on the table, um, what, just that sort of sense of worry. And we even saw that when, when Sam preached from Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about how some, he says, don't worry about what you eat and, and what you drink and what you wear, but seek first the kingdom. And it's kind of showing that there's a tension there. The thing that will distract us from seeking first the kingdom is actually worrying about not having enough. So Jesus says, don't worry about that. Seek God and he will provide for your needs. Another struggle, though, is almost on the opposite side, is actually the struggle of having more than enough, uh, but that leading us to forget God and actually start to trust what we have and actually trust our resources. Uh, this challenge, these challenges could also basically be summarized as the challenge of scarcity, when there's not much, and it leads us to, to worry and be anxious, or the challenge of abundance, when actually we have lots, and maybe have been blessed but with lots from God, but it can actually lead us to forget God and be proud and trust in ourselves and what we have. Uh, in the Bible, we see these challenges in, in, in different ways. One is with, with Israel, they were in the wilderness and they had nothing, right? They, they were totally dependent on God, uh, yet they were called to trust His um, provision in scarcity. They were in a desert for 40 years, yet God gave them food from heaven, and, and they didn't need to worry. He, he was providing for them. But the, the danger and the challenge was that they kept saying, we need to go back to Egypt. There's not enough food out here. But, but God said, no, there is. I'm here, and I can provide in the wilderness. But then once they got to the promised land, 
They came into this land of abundance and, and food and, and land and, and no war ceasing. And, and the challenge was that they would forget God. And they would start to think that we did all this ourselves. And, and actually, they would start to worship other gods, which is what they, they did. Uh, the, the, the actual the abundance was a challenge that stopped them from trusting in God. So we see both of these can be a challenge that distract us. And you might have experienced both of these in your life as well. You might have experienced times of scarcity when you feel anxious and, and worried about money. And, and actually, it's probably a pretty common thing to, to feel that sense of worry about not having enough. And maybe even when you look at that, you sort of maybe easily identify more with the scarcity side. But if we're honest and sort of looking at this through a biblical lens of scarcity and needs, most of us are probably actually in the challenge of abundance. Because <laughs> if we have more than food and, and water and shelter, then we have an abundance, actually. Uh, it, bi- biblically, to have needs is to have those sort of base needs. Uh, most of us, not all of us in our, in our country, but many people easily have food, water, and, and shelter, yet we still worry and still think of things as scarcity. But actually, the challenge of abundance may be more our struggle that we, we want more and feel discontent, and there's things pulling at us that think that if we just had more, we would feel better, but actually that's pulling us away from God. So both of these challenges are, are, are relevant. Um, both of these, especially I think in our current cultural climate where there's lots of talk about money and, and economy and finances, and there's a lot of anxiety present, we need to recognize that this is actually a struggle that could take our focus from Him. But there's an invitation in the midst of it. So what we're going to do is have a look at this passage in, in Philippians um, and also have another look at another passage in, in 2 Corinthians. So if you are following along in, in your Bible, if you have a Bible on your phone, we're in Philippians 4, but then we're also going to go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 for, for a bit as well. So this um, is Paul writing in, in prison to, to the Philippians. Uh, so he's in a situation of scarcity, right? He's in prison, <laughs> in a Roman prison. He does not have anything effectively. He's actually dependent on support from outside. And the Philippian church have actually been generous to him and given him probably money um, or food or support. They've generously supported him. But Paul has this understanding that Jesus is the one thing. And if Jesus is the one thing, he has everything he needs. So it's really interesting how Paul responds to their gift. They've given him a gift. And this is kind of Paul saying thank you in a really strange way, because uh, he doesn't want them to misunderstand his thankfulness. He, he says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So they'd given him money before. Um, this church had supported Paul financially, and now he's in prison, and just recently they'd supported him again, but there'd been a gap because there'd been some issue that they couldn't get money to him, and he's thanking God for that. Thank you, God, that I'm so thankful that they started to support. But then in verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in every situation I am to be content. It's really interesting. He wants to say thank you to them, and he is in need. He's in prison, but he also doesn't want them to think that he's dependent on them or that he actually is in need. He has a need, but at the same time, he says, actually, I don't have a need. It's really strange. He actually says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He knows how to face scarcity. He knows how to face abundance. 
In, every, in any and every situation, circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's thankful to them for their generosity, but at the same time, he says, I actually don't need it because I have everything I need because I have Jesus. And he actually sees that the fact that they've given it to him is actually Jesus giving it to him. Paul's actually living out this reality that we've been talking about, Psalm 23. If the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He does have needs, but he says, no, I have God, so I don't have needs. He will meet my needs, and he's doing it through the Philippians. And this is an invitation that Paul said he's learned a secret of how to keep this one thing focused and be content in both scarcity and abundance. See, we can be content in both of those by relying on His power to strengthen us. Effectively, the invitation is that if He is our one thing, we can actually be content in, in both of those situations. Um, it's interesting because you might think, like, why would you need to be content in abundance? <laughs> but sometimes that's the real place you need contentment. Sometimes it's easier to be content when there's just enough and you're grateful for food and and drink, and and shelter. When you have more, sometimes it leads to wanting even more. Again, there's a need to learn contentment even in abundance. So it's interesting, Paul says he doesn't need, he doesn't have a need, he has a need, he's in prison, but he says, actually, I'm not in need. What does it look like maybe even today if you are aware of a need that you have? Maybe you even come here today with a need. Maybe you're facing a financial need, or a struggle, or a worry. What does it look like to, to acknowledge, yes, it's a need, but to also say, but actually it's not. Because if I have God, I have everything I need. So actually, I'm not in need. <laughs> it's this invitation that we can both have a need and not have a need at the same time. This doesn't mean we're passive. We still bring our needs to Him. And Jesus even invites us to pray for daily bread, to say, God, give us this day our daily bread, to, to bring our needs to Him, trusting that He will meet them. And if he doesn't, in some ways, maybe the answer is that we don't need it. Um, Alexander McLaren on this puts it this way, if we do not get what we want, we may be quite sure that we do not need it. The axiom of Christian faith is that whatever we do not obtain, we do not require. If the Lord is our shepherd and we have everything we need, we can be content. We have him doesn't mean we don't have desires. It doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we don't seek, but we do it from a place of contentment, also contending for more of Him, because Paul in the last chapter says that he pushes on for more of Christ. So he wants more of Jesus, but is content in his circumstance. But he said that he's had to learn that. He says he's learned this secret, the secret of contentment in all circumstances. He's had to learn it. And there's an invitation for us and maybe an invitation for you in whatever season you're in at the moment, maybe it's a season of scarcity, there's actually an invitation to learn contentment by trusting and relying on the power of Christ to strengthen you to face that situation. Or maybe you're in a season of abundance, which is another form of trial and test, and there's a need to learn contentment in the season of abundance by trusting in Christ's power and strength. So just maybe even think, like, what what sort of season are you in at the moment and what lesson may God be teaching you through the circumstances to grow in contentment? Like Paul said, he actually had to learn it. Because if he is our one thing, then we can be content. 
he keeps going, and, and again, he's, 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 Paul is grateful for their support, but he's in the midst of his gratitude, he doesn't want them to get the wrong idea. He doesn't want them to think that he's dependent on them. And even as we keep reading, he's actually more excited for them that they're generous than the fact that he's receiving from them. Uh, it's just a bit wordy, but I'll kind of explain it as we go. He, he says to them, yet it was kind of you to share my troubles, right? So he said, I didn't actually need it. I can do everything through Christ. Yet it was kind. Thank you. <laughs> he's grateful. Um, and he says, you Philippians yourselves know in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Macedonia is like the area that, where the Philippian church is, which will be relevant in a minute. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So this church has been generous to Paul in an, in an ongoing way. They've, they've been supporting him more than other churches. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. But then he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's kind of a bit, a bit wordy what, what he's saying, but it's so interesting because effectively he's grateful that they've supported him, but he's not even grateful because his needs met. He's excited because they've been generous and they're going to reap the benefit of generosity. And he, he talks about the fact that there's fruit that will accrue to their credit. There's going to be a blessing in the fact that they're, they're entering into generosity. And then he also talks about how what they've done is actually an offering of worship to God. He, he talks about their gift. So they've literally sent Paul money to Paul while he's in prison. But the way that Paul talks about it is it's like in the Old Testament when, when people would take an animal and put it on the altar as a sacrifice, which was an act of worship that would then burn and smoke, and God would be pleased. God's not, it's not that God likes the smell of burning meat. It's that God likes us offering our best to Him in, in sacrifice. And He's saying, this is what they've done. They're actually using their finances to worship God, and it's pleasing Him. Uh, we can see that what we can do is use money to worship God through generosity, rather than forget God and worry about or worship money. It's Jesus highlights this as well when he says you cannot serve God and money. There's a competing thing here, but you can worship God with money. And if we don't, we probably end up worshiping money and God comes second. Effectively, if he is our one thing, we can be generous. Because if we face scarcity, the temptation is that it causes us to hold on to our money because we don't have enough. So we feel anxious. Um, and again, in the news in the society at the moment, there's a lot of anxiety, which might make us hold on and hold tight. Um, same with abundance. Hearts can become attached to things that we have, attached to amounts, investments, houses, and we hold on tightly to them and are not generous. But if Jesus is the one thing, if he's the one thing necessary, then we can be free with everything else. We can actually be generous. And it's interesting because the Philippian church is not rich. They're, they're poor. They don't have much money, and they probably haven't given much money to Paul, but they are being generous. The issue is not the amount. Uh, we see this in 2 Corinthians. So we'll, we'll go over to 2 Corinthians and just the first five verses of chapter 8. I'll read this and kind of explain it as we go a bit. So Paul's talking to Corinthians about generosity, but he's going to talk about the Philippians. He says, We want you to know, brothers... 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's where the Philippian church is. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity in their part. So they are in affliction, and he says they are in extreme poverty. They are poor, yet they have this joy and desire to give generously. He says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So this is a church that doesn't have much, that has their own struggles, their own problems, but is so excited to give generously to support another church in need. This money is going to go to Jerusalem where the church is in, is in even more need. Um, they don't see this as a burden, that they're excited to give. And, but they probably didn't give much because they're in poverty. So the issue is not the amount. The issue is this heart of generosity. And Paul is just so excited about this generosity that, that he's encouraging the Corinthians to have and he's, he's boasting about how the Philippians have. Because um, sometimes we might say that we will be generous when we have more, uh, when we have more income, or, or when things grow, then, then we'll be generous. But, but the issue is not the amount. The issue is in our situation now, what does it look like to be generous? Like you could be on a, a pension at the moment. You could be in high school and just be earning pocket money. Or you could have huge investments and massive income at the moment. Like the, the issue is not the amount. The issue is what does it look like to give it to God and say, God, what do you want me to do with it? What does it look like to be generous? What does it look like for it to be a sacrificial offering that costs something so that we don't hold on to it, but we hold on to Him? Um, and I think often starting when we don't have much is, is the best because if you don't have much and then you're generous, when you get more, then you can just be more generous. <laughs> that's, that's what's exciting, and that's the invitation. So if He is our one thing, we can be generous. Paul then goes on, and, and he just makes this sort of final comment to the Philippians, um, and then he makes a similar comment to the Corinthians, which is actually profound, what, what he says. Um, it's this encouragement that they're, he, he's in this place of contentment that he's modeling, and he's excited that they're practicing generosity, and, we, and he's inviting them to live generous. And then he says this in re- response to their generosity. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To, the, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's actually an amazing statement if you, if you read it slowly. He's, he's talking to this church. He's in prison, yet he promises that his God, who he knows is generous, God is generous, will meet every need of this Philippian church in, in trouble according to the riches of his glory. It says, God is rich, and, and he will bless you. Uh, this is a phrase that's often the case. We say, you can't outgive God. Like, if, if God is, like you know, if you, if you have someone, you're trying to be generous to them, and they just keep being generous back to you. You just want to be generous to them, and then they're generous back to you. It's like God's like the ultimate example of that. It's like you try and be generous, and then he just blesses you even more. He says this also to, the second Corinthian, to, to Corinthians in Second Corinthians. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Like that's just total language of abundance to a church that's not very rich and to Paul who's not very rich, right, but who has God. This is the posture. He, in his circumstances, he's experiencing scarcity, but in the kingdom, he's experienced total abundance because he has God who has everything. So he, he's totally rich and knows that God will provide. We're actually invited to joyfully trust his provision and care and live out of his abundance. This is the truth that if he is our one thing, we can be joyful. It's so interesting because the, the theme of Philippians, which is Paul writing from prison to a church who's facing difficulties and challenges, is joy. That's, that's the theme. Um, the theme of the encouragement to the Corinthians when they're, they're raising these funds to give to the Jerusalem church and Paul's encouraging them to give, it's not a burden, it's actually a joy. He's inviting them into joy. He's inviting them into generosity. Um, this idea of having a one thing focus on, on Jesus is, is not a, a burden or just another thing we have to do. It's actually, and, and generosity, although it gets framed like that, is not a chore, like, oh, we should, should give more. Like, the Bible just doesn't talk like that. It, it talks about it as a joy, as something to not miss out on. Because the truth is, if we have the one thing we need, then we have all that we need. We have the resources to face the situation, and also nothing actually can get at our true treasure. If our true treasure is Jesus, if our true treasure is in the heavens, then even if there is financial collapse, even if other things do fall away, even if we lose things that we love and, and care about, it's okay, because ultimately we have the one thing. We have a rich father who will meet our needs, and ultimately... The joy is in God himself. And Paul says this in this Second Corinthians passage, talking about Jesus ultimately as this true treasure. He references Jesus, saying, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He says the Corinthians are rich because they have Jesus. And then he ends this it's a great couple of chapters where he just is exuberant in joy and invitation to generosity and thanksgiving and worship. And then he finishes it saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, referencing Christ. It's the truth that we have received an inexpressible gift. We have the greatest treasure. We have a rich and generous Father. We have access to the strength of Christ by the Spirit. We are not to be people who live by a bank balance. We don't live by bread alone. We live by His Word, His sustaining power, and we live for the treasure of heaven, which is ultimately Jesus Himself. Because you could have an abundance of money and houses and possessions and wealth, but if you don't have this one thing, Ultimately, you have nothing, is what the Bible would say. You could look rich, successful, but in God's eyes, you're totally poor and, and totally in desperate need. Or you could look totally poor in a Roman prison like Paul, yet have Jesus, and you have an absolute abundance. You have everything that you need. That's the invitation 
of the kingdom, which is why it makes so much sense that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, right? If you have that, you have everything. Don't worry about the other stuff. It's nothing compared to God and his kingdom. So in this season where we face a world that, where there is chaos and we face many things competing for our attention, we face lots of things that may make us anxious about money, more than ever, maybe, maybe more than ever, we need to focus on the one thing necessary, which is the inexpressible gift we've received in Christ, trusting him, living with him, knowing that he's promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. So we're going to respond in a, in a song in a moment, but what I want to do is just give you a moment um, in prayer, just to be open to God, and maybe just what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you this morning in, in response to this. Um, response maybe to the series around having Him as the one thing, or maybe just particularly in response to generosity and, and finance and, and just what He might be addressing in this season as well. So I'll just give you a moment, moment to do that um, after I pray, and then, and then we're going to sing a song, another song of surrender. We, we sung a song of surrender before. We're going to sing another one. And I just invite you, as you sing it, to sing it with joy, because what we're being invited into is actually the joy of him being the one thing. So, Father, we just pray that, um, yeah, you'd speak to us uh, in our hearts, Lord, just what this means for us today. Just thank you for what you invite us into, Jesus, as, as our one thing necessary. Just thank you for your heart that you had towards Martha, who was anxious and troubled about many things, and how you invited her graciously to focus on the one thing necessary, Lord. If, if we've been anxious, I've been anxious, Lord. Thank you that you have compassion for us. Thank you that you redirect us. Thank you that you guide us. And we just ask you to free us as a people from worry about money, Lord. Free us as a people from worshipping material things and attaching ourselves to them. Free us to focus on the treasures of heaven and no abundance in Christ. Free us with extravagant generosity and joy uh, like you've done for many. You work powerfully in us, we pray. Just speak to us all. Lord, what are you saying today? Lead us in surrender and joy, we pray.